0: I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Well, hi everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Today I have got Etienne Bass who is the big boss at Freda and List, and we're going to be chatting about all things Freda and List, from soup to nuts, because he does everything from what I can gather. Etienne, hi, nice to speak to you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Very nice having
0: us on here. Well, Etienne, you are the sort of world-famous Donna's brother. Are you just as famous? (laughs) You clearly are.
1: No, I try and stay in a slightly lower profile than Donna tries to. (laughs) Rather get the the things done and... uh...
0: So, Etienne, you were. Listen, I know. I know Fred and List for many, many reasons. We've sold Fred and List at Norman Goodfellows for many, many years. Donna's been a friend. It's a fabulous farm. It's one of those jewels in our crown. And in addition to that, you you extended the business to a lot of hospitality. And I know many people who have had beautiful weddings and functions at the farm. So we're going to speak about absolutely everything. But most importantly to me is the wine offering that you've got going at the moment. Um, I think that from my perspective, the most famous wine to come off of the farm is the Jess. It's just such an amazing, it's such amazing value for money, that wine Um, it really is one of the nicest. I think it was the first Provence-style rosé in the country. And it just like anything, any good product, um, continuity and consistency is the name of the game. And that's what I find with the Jess. But there's a lot more to Freda and Liszt than just the Jess. So off you go. Tell us about the wines on offer at the moment.
1: Wines and after, I mean, you spoke about Jess, but actually uh, after Jess, our biggest seller is one of our top wines, the Butti Erasmus. Yes. Uh, it's a Bordeaux blend made from grapes, mainly from Fred and List. But uh, if you look at Fred and List, you actually, we a bit, uh, have a bit of a two side to the coin. Um, in 2005, we purchased the Apple Farm in Elgin. Mm. And I think very few people know, but we must be the biggest grape producer in Elgin now. We've got about really? sixty hectares under vineyard there. Yeah, wow. sixty hectares under vines. Um, we've got a really good manager there. She's a lady as well, like a winemaker, Annette. Yes. And she's totally OCD. So <laughs> there's nothing viticulturist with an M degree and being OCD. Then you. You can don't really get
0: cleaner wine. That. Yeah, you don't get cleaner yeah, than you that. Won't
1: get, And the vineyards (laughs) are perfect. So uh, if you look, for example, um, at our current range, we do 50% white, 50% red. Uh, The main reds all come from the Fred and List estate. Uh, Mm. That would be the Rasmus. that's Bordeaux, the the Ella. That used to be called Cote de Savoy, but nobody could pronounce it. Yes, I
0: love that Cote de Savoy. Now, I know that Rasmus was your grandfather. I don't know who Ella was. Was she your grandmother?
1: No, no. Ella is actually Dana's youngest daughter. Oh, okay. Because people came with all weird concoctions of the name Jacques de Savoy to the tasting room with the Cote de Savoy, because that was a play on the name of the first owner of the farm.
0: Oh, really? Okay. uh,
1: Yeah, Jacques de Savoy was the first owner, and he came over from uh, Belgium with a whole bunch of Huguenots. And uh, so then we decided to change the names of the wine to Ella. <laughs> and all of a sudden, now it's one of the top sellers because people couldn't pronounce the name. And, and, and that's actually a very nice wine. It's a blend of Grenache, uh, Shiraz, and Vionier, all produced on Frida and List.
0: Yeah, delicious. Etienne, give us a brief little rundown of the history of Frida from day dot when it was bought by Monsieur Savoy.
1: The Savoy, came here with all the Huguenots, 1688. So it's also one of the oldest wine farms in the uh, Franschuk Valley. So in 1688, uh, he purchased it. And there's a very long history of of vineyards. They immediately planted vineyards. I think we now have the same amount of vineyards on the farm as they had in 1745. Wow. They built the old historic cellar that we now use as a wedding venue. And uh, so through the years... It was a wine farm, and then, obviously, in the, I think, in the Pixton era, mm-hmm. uh, Cecil John Rhodes' time, they changed to fruit farming, uh, and that, I think, was also when the whole wine industry was basically wiped out yes. by the and that. Yes. So then they decided, oh, I better bet, let's plant uh, fruit. fruit trees, mm. table grapes, plums. And then, obviously, our era started in '96. And uh Donna came down to the farm in ninety six when he purchased it mm. and then I became his partner in ninety eight who did then you purchase who did
0: you purchase it from
1: uh, I'm trying to think the top farm we bought from uh, rob Morley
0: so they weren't uh, so actually were they making wine at the time or not?
1: No wines was made on mm. uh, list at that stage mm, um, mm. so then we replanted, pulled out all the the fruit and the table grapes replanted the vineyards first and we finished replanting the vineyards basically in 2000. Then we planted what Frieden listed in about 36, 38 hectares of vineyards. It's a lot of vineyards. Then our uh, journey with uh, Gunther Brösel started. Yes. So we worked for about three years with him. Gunther designed our cellar and it was a, for most cellars it would be a bit, um, Back to front uh, design because we first got Gunther. He did a complete technical design of the cellar and then we gave it to three architects to say, Now make it nice. Well, we first actually gave it to the engineers to say, Okay, where must the columns and the stuff be? and then uh, we gave it to three architects and um, make it pretty. In, mm. Make it pretty. That was in 99 and we finished building in 2001 Fred List. So our first. Frieda and Vintage in the modern era was in 2002. Uh, Then our winemaker was a Frenchman Stéphane de saint And uh, he stayed with us until 2005. And then Susania Rasmus came and she was with us for 11 years. Mm -hmm. And then she moved. Now they they moved to Villiersdorf. We still see her. We're still close friends. Uh, But then in 2005, we also purchased the apple farm.
0: Now, because, what spurred uh, you on to do that? Because Fred List is a big farm and you had quite a lot of vineyard as it was and you were producing beautiful fruit. Did something just pop up or did you specifically go and look for something?
1: We specifically looked, wanted to look for a property where we could grow some white grapes. At that stage, originally, we wanted to grow only Sauvignon Blanc. So every Wednesday morning, I used to drive through to Somerset West, pick up Gunter Brosell. And, the two of and us he was a force to be at,
0: reckoned with, wasn't he? He was yeah, an no, amazing guy.
1: Phenomenal. He still is. Remember, he's still alive. People forget. Is
0: Gunter Brasel still lunch.
1: alive? Uh, yeah, we had him over for lunch about uh, three Saturdays ago.
0: Wow. Uh,
1: he still drives here. He drove from Somerset West to the farm. Um and really remarkable man. Uh,
0: You've really given me a, an idea. I'm going to hunt him down and I'm going to force him to do an interview with me on, on the Biz News channel.
1: No, just be prepared for a lot of honesty. <laughs> you don't I know. A well, that's what he's known for and we
0: love him for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. yeah we are hunting for an apple farm that we can convert to a proper grape farm. And at that stage, remember, the apple industry was uh, on its knees. So uh, we had quite a wide variety of farms to choose from. At that stage, I think it was only basically Paul Kluver and uh, Talima had just started and Tukara had just bought Sutherland and obviously Mm. uh, Andrew and uh, Iona. Yes. But then we bought on completely the opposite side of uh, Iona. We bought against the... Next to Apple Tizer, next to the Kochelberg Biosphere.
0: I know exactly we, where you are.
1: We bought a, a very nice apple farm, and Gunther, Gunther insisted we buy that farm <laughs> because um, the big difference between that farm and a lot of the other uh, vineyards on Elgin is we've got three soil types. We've yes, got the, the sandstone. We've got the, uh, the shale, the Narbank, mm. and then we've got the, 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 Sh- the Bockefeldt-Skali. Mm, mm. And uh, there's also a lot of aspects to that vineyard. Yes. So that was really, from a, a, a vineyard point of view, for Freda and Lister, uh, a game changer.
0: Is it high up? Does it go right mm. up the ah. mountain? No, our highest
1: level would be about 320 meters. So it's quite a bit lower than I know. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's high. For next to the sea, remember. Yes. I was going to say, it's a very
0: nice mixture of sea breeze and altitude. Um, Normally when you get that sea breeze, you're almost at sea level.
1: Mm. South we have uh, Royals. So we're about 11 kilometers from Royals south. And then on our um, western side, we've got, Gordon's Bay, so we're on that peninsula going okay. out. Yes. So, so there's a real lot of sea influence and every morning you can nearly set your watch around 11 o'clock uh, um, <laughs> the slight breeze comes from the sea and that's yes. a real sea breeze, not a story exactly with that, the, the grapes that we've produced there. We've planted a, a wide variety of grapes yes. uh, of cultivars Mm. Yeah, so we planted that farm with mainly white cultivars, but obviously we were tempted, uh, so we planted Pinot Noir, um, and then we also planted a bit of Cab Franc, and the Cab Franc is doing exceptionally well.
0: Yeah, it is in that area, the, f- the soil. So what soil did you plant your Cab Franc in? In the Bocafauve?
1: R- no, no, we planted uh, it on the Narbank. so it's got a slight northern slope, so it will be the uh, like the slate, uh, Yes. In Afrikaans, they refer to it as nabank, and then on top we've got tukulu.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so it's, it's the same soils we grow our uh, richling on. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it, we also grow, I mean, everything is, just, uh, all the grapes there are really nice, mm. but the, um, the richling there seems to really develop proper flavours. We get the real... Yeah. Uh, uh, kerosene uh, de- flavor development. And,
0: well, if you think you know, of it, the Kluvers made some really, really smart Riesling in that same area. It is a good area. And I think that Elgin is going to emerge as, funnily you should say it, the Cabernet Franc that's coming out of Elgin is delicious, but they're also making really smart Pinot Noir. So I think that your white varietals, your, your, the Sauvignon Blancs are delicious. They, they're nice and linear. They're nice and crispy and clean and, and, and sort of short haircut. The Sauvignon Blancs are, are good, but the Pinot Noir is delicious. And then, of course, Chardonnay. I assume that you've got Chardonnay planted there as yeah, well. Yeah, we've
1: got all our Chardonnay goes to our neighbors here next door to us. Oh, uh, really? Not the majority. They, mm. So the Baroness Nadine uh, gets, yes. from that side. Okay. Yes. Um, we've planted some more uh, Chardonnay, because Chardonnay, as you say, is really a, a nice cultivar to grow there. Yeah. And the, the flavors are just so nice, because I think one thing that Chardonnay needs is hanging time. Big time. And and, and that's what the great thing is from Elgin, is you actually get real hanging time. Mm. And with people, I misunderstand sometimes, they, they, they misread Elgin uh, as being very cold. But actually, Elgin is very... Uh, Coastal temperate. Yes. Because you, you, we'll bud now already. The shenan there is already at its first uh, fungicide spray. Oh, really? Where on, on this side of the mountain, we actually haven't even uh, sprayed yet. Yeah. And then it will hang for another at least eight weeks longer.
0: You see, that makes such a difference. It just side. lies in that grape, which is the perfect factory for developing all those beautiful flavours and aromatics. I agree with you. I think Elgin is going to emerge as one of our premium wine-producing areas at this stage of the game. And I don't know… Unfortunately,
1: we're losing grapes here at the moment. Are no, you? Because there's not enough money in the, in grapes for the farmers to keep farming it. So they're all uh, pulling out vineyards and actually planting planting
0: apples. apples. Well, I was going to say to you, I'm not sure because I haven't – I sort of focus on wine rather than than other fruits, but I'm not sure how much influence the old apple plantations had on the soils and on the resultant aromatics that are coming out of the vineyards that are now planted there because there's a very definite – there's a very definite flavor profile on the white wines that coming out of Elgin, and they are so clean. Like a Granny Smith apple is so clean, or even one of those Starkings. <laughs> they're so clean when you bite into them. They're delicious. And the grapefruit seems to offer the same crisp cleanliness that those apples used to. I wonder if, they're, if the apples have influenced the soils at all.
1: I, I doubt it. I, I think the, the apples would have had a big – the the fertilizing of the soil mm. because remember that the, the fruit industry they put much more uh, fertilizer into the soils, yes. So, you actually so your root development for the vineyards is a much more natural because you have got a massive deep um base where your uh, roots can go and there's food everywhere, yes. Um, I mean, we see it uh, clearly on the sandstone in the beginning, it takes us about five years to get a vineyard growing there compared to uh on Simonsburg, we actually can be in production in the third year already Yes and Elgin will minimum 5 years actually plus mm. and but then once its roots get down into the uh the food uh that's say at 2 meters in the the big sandstone uh Sponges where all the, the fertilizer stays, then they actually grow really nice. And I think that's what happens with it. That's why you get that very clean fruit because they have the hang time mm. and the roots go and fetch them from deep, deep, mm. deep down. Mm.
0: So, so now, Etienne, the wines that are made at the actual mother farm, at the mothership, that's, mm. I'm assuming, most of your reds. And are you doing your Chenin Blanc at? At no. the Fred and List farm?
1: No, actually, the, the Shenan Blanc is a single vineyard designated block in Elgin. It was the first oh, wow. uh, Shenan planted in Elgin. Okay. Uh, we've got a 2.2 hectare block of Shenan there. And it was actually Donna's idea originally, and everyone thought he was a bit nuts. Because all the chenon was grown on this side of the mountain.
0: He is a bit nuts. And we water. all know that. So nobody takes him too seriously. <laughs> like but your, your chenon, and is that the Kogelberg Shannon that I'm speaking about? That's
1: the Kogelberg chenon. I love it. has got a very Yeah, it's,
0: it's very distinctive, which is why I thought maybe it was on the Simonsberg side, because they're just a bit hotter. You get those beautiful, pungent no, I fruits. I mean, if you
1: take where, where in France does chenon come from?
0: The Loire, it gets uh, hot. It's cold. I mean, um, it, it's sorry, yeah, I'm going yeah, to it.
1: Very cool, cool. climate, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. And that's why we planted it there, and it really does well. We sell a bit of it to uh, Kathy, Kathy Marshall. She also makes great uh, wine with it. Yes. Um, and the rest goes into our uh, Kochelberg Shannon. Yes. Or it will go into our, uh, what, let's call it before we get into trouble, but Prosecco style uh bubbly. Yes. That we make
0: it's fun. That's uh, that's really fun. That prosecco that you make. I'm happy yeah, so to get we, into we trouble.
1: No, yeah, we make that from uh, Chenin, Pinot Noir, and Chardonnay. And if you ever want to see an uh, apple influence, then you have to taste that. You really get a very I strong know. apple flavor in it.
0: Then tell me the the Fred and List Barrique. What is that?
1: The Barrique is, is originally when we started, so it's obviously as the barrel, as the name says, it's barrel fermented whites. It started off as a, a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend, mm. and then we decided, but everyone does a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend. We'll do a, a Semillon Sauvignon Blanc blend. Okay, uh, and uh, so I think it runs at about eighty five percent Semillon, and fifty percent uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, that's barrel fermented, uh, and Simeon must be one of the nicest
0: underrated
1: uh, grapes out there. Uh, and how we started with it, Susan made, we've got the artisan range where we allow the the winemaker to choose, select small barrels, nine barrels of this, five barrels mm. of this. And Susan actually made a, a say 2000 liters of unwooded Simeon. Um, gorgeous. From Elgin. Mm. And it really was gorgeous. And then we obviously put it into barrels and it just developed that such nice flavors, um, you know, that deep citrus, uh, even a bit of cinnamon. Uh, well, it's, my, it's nice one flavors. of
0: my missions to teach everybody to choose if they have the if they have the option. It is such gorgeous. It really is one of my favorite white grape varieties. And there are a few out there at the moment. I haven't tasted your barrique. In a long, long time, which is really? why I asked we'll
1: get you get you a bottle litmus That's why
0: I asked you what it is now, because I I haven't tasted it for a long time. And I remember I did used to enjoy all the whites from, from Freda and Liszt. You make fabulous white. Well you make fab wine, full stop, but mm-hmm. I didn't realise that it was that it was um predominantly Simeon. And one of my current favorite drinking wines at the moment is um Dr. Rupert's Croendref. You know that Cape okay. of Good Hope. From yep. his Cape of Good Hope yep. farm, he's making a thing called just called Chundrev, and it's absolutely beautiful. You've but
1: the nice thing about uh, Simeon is actually when you walk in the vineyards before you harvest it, the the flavors that you get in Simeon oh. in the vineyard on the grape is already that's the same flavors you're going to get. Yeah, it's- and very few uh, grapes actually do that. Direct transfer.
0: Yeah, it's very true to itself. So it's got this beautiful layers and layers and layers of waxy, sweet citrus fruit, but with a spicy twist. It is the best white variety. I absolutely love it.
1: There's only one drawback to it. The birds love it as well. Oh,
0: yeah, they do too. <laughs> the other so thing so was actually a bit of a. With Semyon is that it, it does age particularly well. So if you if you buy quite a lot of it, if you happen to find a vintage and a grape and and a label that you love, buy it, and buy ten cases of it and keep it.
1: Yeah, I mean we actually drink now. You can drink for 2010 and stuff. Exactly, are really nice. Yeah, time. really really nice, and especially as a winter. Non red wine, so yes, you, and because you, you don't drink it even chilled, you just drink it room temperature, and
0: it's textured it's enough, uh, and uh, it's got beautiful palate weight. Tell me that you have made a sticky wine out of some of your Semion.
1: We've tried. We've just can't get there. Uh, uh, our problem is the birds come in, yes, and uh, then they just bring in the, the the bunch rot, yeah, instead of the botrytis, yes, and. And what also what ma- what makes Elgin difficult with the, the let's call it the Gunther's favorite wine, mm. is that we get too much rain in early autumn. So it destroys it. We, I know Prasida Mill next door here, yeah, uh, Niederberg, yes. used to make a lot of their stuff coming from here. So it's much drier. Mm. So it's much more difficult making it in Elgin than actually making it this side of the mountain yeah, because, because of the rain.
0: because funnily enough, whilst it's froth that makes it delicious, there's two different types of froth, and you've got a wet yeah, froth and a dry froth. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't want that then, wet I mean, froth. This year,
1: this year, we actually saw it on our Richling. We had a perfect vintage up until a week before harvest, and then the, the sour rot, oh, the bunch rot, terrible. just came into the Richling, and we lost was probably about… 20% plus of the crop there
0: Um, It's in, tell me about all these names. Who's Marguerite?
1: Marguerite, she was the first owner of Jacques de Savoy's daughter. Okay. So, so that's going to, that wine at the moment was, a, or we, we used to run it as a Chardonnay from Simonsburg Paul, but from the 2021 vintage, it's going to be 100% wine of origin Elgin uh, Chardonnay. Okay. Okay. Um, so then we've got new blocks coming production there. So it's really going to be nice. Then Jess, obviously, Donna's eldest daughter. yes. So we named the, the, the rosé after her on her 16th birthday. Oh, sweet. So that we've been making now for, I don't want to give Jess's age, but A little we've been while. making it for 14 years now. <laughs> for 14 years.
0: No, it's such fabulous wine. You just know what you're buying. And then our, yeah.
1: Uh, obviously, we have our Lady J, that's uh, uh, my, our late mother. She passed away last year, um, and that's the Shiraz blend. And what's nice about it is the Shiraz blend between Elgin and Simonsburg Paul Fruits. Oh, so delicious. Much more complexity. Cured. And then, of course, we cannot, is the Sauvignon Blanc.
0: we cannot possibly be sitting here speaking about Fred and List wines and omit white mischief. It is a (laughs) cracker of a wine. It's just a cracker. At the price, everybody should have a few cases of white mischief in their cellar. What goes into that white mischief? I think you change a little bit every year, don't you?
1: It's more or less the same, but it would be um, Chinon Blanc, Semillon, Pinot Gris, Sauvignon Blanc, so the smaller percent, I'm going basically in order of uh, percentages. Uh, And then, so it's uh, Sauvignon Blanc, and then there's a little bit of Riesling and a bit, little bit of Vionier. And I, mean, I was watching Carlin doing the, the new blend for that wine, and that's really, people don't believe you, but that's the most difficult wine to make. Is it? To, to get six whites into a blend that can taste nice now and a few years down the line, especially working with a cultivar like Riesling and Vionier that can become very, very dominant in a blend.
0: It is Absolutely one of my favourite and it brings back memories of when I was little, there was a movie that came out called White Mischief and it was terribly glamorous of people cruising up and down the Nile River on on boats and drinking champagne and it was absolutely, yeah. and that's really what it makes you, it transports you to places like that, it makes you feel like a princess.
1: That's where the name comes from, actually, from the movie. Oh, really? We were playing, with, there's a double play on the name, the one was uh, we would actually uh, Donna thought that you know the people in Elgin reminds him of the people in the movie yes. White Mischief. Yes. Yes. And that, and then secondly, the White Mischief. having the six cultivars. So originally we had five cultivars, but having the six cultivars in the the Riesling now, that's also making mischief with the white.
0: Yeah. Yes, I can imagine Riesling's Riesling's not the easiest grape to to vinify in the first place. And to vinify it as a bed partner with four others must be absolutely impossible. So, so there's
1: a very small percentage. For
0: anybody who hasn't tasted Fred and List's white mischief, you absolutely have to go and get some. You've got a you've got an entry level. I'm trying to remember what the entry level red and whites is from delicious Is it called Red, red Lady? Lady? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: The Red Lady—that was a uh, hundred percent Merlot—and it was named after our tasting room uh, ambassadors that always uh, wear red dresses.
0: Yeah. Oh. Um, okay.
1: And that's where the name the Red Lady came from. Um,
0: okay.
1: It's a our biggest problem there is uh, having enough stock because it always sells out before the new vintage is ready. It's because and, it uh, punches
0: above its weight. I mean, you you can uh, go and buy yourself a Um, a box of wine with red wine or white wine in it at the same sort of price if you do the sums. And there's just no comparison between the taste that's coming out of your Red Lady and a box of red from somewhere.
1: But that's also our dilemma because... Merlot, as you also know, is one of the most difficult red cultivars to make drinkable wine from. I've
0: got a thing about Uh, Merlot, you know. For me, and I get into terrible trouble about it, especially now with everything that goes down in the world that offends everybody. You're not allowed to say whether you're a girl or a boy or an it or a they (laughs) or an us. Nobody's allowed to know because it's all offensive. Don't
1: get me going. Yeah, no.
0: But I, when I was, you know, studying – and I was tasting so much, it was very clear to me that some wines, um, some grapes, display distinctive masculine characteristics and some display distinctive feminine ones. And I don't think there's anything wrong in saying it because women are supposed to be soft and gentle and pretty. And men are supposed to be big and strong and handsome and and tough and rough and ready. So – there's just nothing we can we can't get away from it because that's a fact of life so um merlot unfortunately was probably the first grape in the wine world to shoot my theory out of the water and say carrie you're talking rubbish because i'm a red grape and i'm soft and velvety and smooth and pretty and i i would actually like to wear a red velvet dress if I wanted to and so Merlot was the first thing to (laughs) blow my theory out of the water. Merlot I think always for me needs a big strong Cabernet to spend some time in the bottle with it and give it some backbone and make it sort of really stand up and say drink me drink me. So Merlot is difficult. The biggest
1: danger for Merlot Mm -hmm. is ripeness. The biggest danger for merlot is ripe. Yes. It must be ripe. Yeah.
0: There's too many of those horrible mean green, that mean lean green merlot. Not good. I've also gone down on record as being snobbish and saying the only merlot I really, really, really really enjoy is Chateau Petra's.
1: Okay, <laughs> if you can afford it. <laughs> no, you, you find
0: it. a big strong partner to buy you a bottle. That's what you do. <laughs> but the
1: interesting thing with Merlot is um, we've got one hectare of Merlot in Elgin, and it's a very difficult grape to work with. Mm-hmm. There to, but uh, I think we're releasing one, it was probably now in October or November, that we left it an extra 18 months or whatever in the barrel. Uh, to try and just see what how would develop. And it's actually developed typical to all the, the cultivars from uh, the cool climate. Just give it some extra time. If you give it extra time, then it will really develop nice. So, I don't want to say too much, but I think this is going to be really a great merlot. Uh, but that's obviously a heavily wooded one. Mm. It's obviously going to be a bit so more So it's quite a serious one. Yeah. A yeah, it's going to be a serious. And our neighbor in Elgin actually makes a um, He's just across the river from us. The very similar soils is uh, He so he
0: makes that uh, Mount Bullet, which is absolutely yeah, beautiful Merlot. Um, so yeah. yeah, there are others other than Chateau Petrus that we can drink. Yeah. So we'll look no, forward no, 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 to no, the James release.
1: makes a very good one there. Yeah.
0: We'll look forward to the release of when it, when are you releasing that new Merlot? I think
1: it'll be in October because obviously uh, Caroline is making very sure that it tastes perfect when we release it yeah. so we're not going to release it too early And because uh, that's our problem with some of our wines we actually have to we're forced to release too early because it's a sold out for example mm. like our Malbec uh, we changed the style of our Malbec I don't know if you remember I our do I do my favorite I wine. loved it but now we've gone no but now we've gone serious on the Malbec so
0: that's good it's to really hear really
1: nice uh, we spend more time in the barrel um, so we changed the style. We're actually going to. We bought an extra piece of land in Elgin now that we're going to plant melbet okay. that, that side as well. Good. So because it's really developing into one of the, uh, the foster sellers.
0: Uh, well, when you when now. you've moved your farm entirely from the Simonsberg <laughs> to Elgin, will you phone me? I'll come and look after the one in the Simonsberg No,
1: no. You have to blend the two. That that's the thing, The nice thing of having these two properties and we, just for interest, like. When we bought the Elgin Farm, everyone said, Are you people mad? You know, is, you can buy grapes yes. wherever you want, whenever you want, it's cheap. And then our view th- at that stage was very clear. You know, if, if we can own our own grapes, we can own our own destiny. Yes. A- and then we can have consistency. Okay, obviously we have to fight, we can't always have the volumes of stuff mm. we want. And I think especially on the, the reds and on the Viognier, the Vioneer is a blend between um, Elgin and Simonsburg Pol. Mm. The Shiraz is a blend. So the Malbec, I think having the two uh, mm. uh, terroirs is really going to help us a lot. Oh, I look uh, forward
0: can, to that. You know, when are you going to release your new Malbec?
1: No, we must first grow the Malbec in Elgin. Oh,
0: haven't you planted it <laughs> even yet?
1: No, no. We're busy buying that piece of land. Okay. Unfortunately, at the moment in South Africa, nothing happens fast. No. If Covid gets blamed. Yes. And we'll actually, I think this coming week we'll start pulling out the um, the apples. Yes. And then next September we'll plant the new stuff. But in the meantime, Carolyn is really working very hard on the Simonsberg, Paul, Mailback in the FBA. Yeah, we've got a specific clone. I think it's called M M O one or MC one. Yes. And it, it's a very red fruit flower. I was going to say, it's very, the color of
0: Malbec mild. that just drives everybody crazy. Yeah. It is so beautiful. Uh,
1: and the MC is a big berry clone. The ones we're going to plant in Elgin, we actually, we went to Yemen and Arda where uh, Yanni Bosman mm. has got a, a vineyard garden. So he's, he's planted, let's say, hundreds of, of different clones of different cultivars. Oh, of, wonderful. Of and we went there this during just before harvest. Carlin and myself were tasting all the marlows that was hanging there and decided which one we want to buy. Uh,
0: what a brilliant idea to have a a vineyard! You garden. must visit him
1: definitely. Where yeah, is he? Yeah, yeah, he's got a vineyard garden there with rows and rows of all the different uh, cultivars and different clones of each cultivar. How
0: clever is um, that? I'm definitely yeah, going to go. And visit nice him. way
1: to choose your. Yeah, yeah, nice way to choose your.
0: Exactly. I think that that's the exciting thing in South Africa at the moment is that all of you have looked way beyond where we've come from and looking at new clones, new, new plants with, on different terroirs, um, New fertilizers, new pruning methods, new trellising, new whatever. There's there's so much innovation happening in the wine industry at the moment, and it is definitely starting to tell. And I think that slowly, slowly, we're actually definitely starting, and I've said it to a few of the people I've chatted with in the last year, slowly we're starting to establish our own appellation control. Um, not out of any rules and regulations, but just out of what grows best where. And I think it's definitely telling in the bottle. People can buy and they can say, have you tasted that delicious Chardonnay from Elgin? You know what I mean? They're starting to think about regions and what's producing the best.
1: You know know what I really, what's happening about exactly what you've been saying there is that. In the end of the day, it's the customer is going to decide. You know, it's nice having uh, Jane Suckling or one of yes. the, the big wine tasters giving you high scores on your wine and you're getting uh, points uh, or you're winning gold medals or whatever. But, I mean, we recently won a very nice award. I don't know if you saw it. It's the KFM yes. Best Wine yes. um, in the Cape, right? A whole series of that. And the funny thing is, um, we've just appointed Chris, our new marketing manager, and so we're working through our old marketing plans. And one of the things that we said six years ago was we want to be the consumer's one. Uh, this type of, of, to winning that, and there was 1.1 million voters in this competition. That's fantastic. And, to, and winning something like that is, for us, it's actually really a affirmation that we might not get the hundred points always from Tim Aitken and stuff, mm. but the consumer drinks a wine, you know, and, and they.
0: I w- I'm trust. with you a hundred percent. Solly always used to say to me when I used to say to him, Solly, which is the best one? You know, when I first went to work there, at Norman Goodfellas, he said, Well, so, which is the best wine? And he would say it's the one that's in your glass in front of you because it's the one you've chosen, and he was absolutely one hundred percent right. And I think that that's a brilliant affirmation of the success of your business is that you've won an award like that because I personally would far rather win the People's Wine Award than the Wine Taster's Wine Award. I know exactly what you're saying.
1: And that's what Gunter said when we were working with him a lot. Uh, He he said there's only three types of wine. (laughs) There's a wine you like, there's a wine you don't like, and then there's a faulty wine because you do get faulty wines. Mm. um, (laughs) So those are the three wines that you get. So to say that, I don't even want to use the name, but this wine is let's take a Petrus is better than Magaud. You just like Petrus more than you like Magaud.
0: Exactly, and and it's as a read as heartache. a retailer at heart, I think there are four types of wines, and the fourth one is the wine you buy. <laughs> <laughs> the wine you can afford. <laughs> I'll yeah, good, just must, tell he 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 must you must these, do, uh... we've got to We've got to have the wine you buy. Now before yeah. we before we say goodbye, because I've got another million things I need to speak to you about. Yeah. You've got a fabulous. Venue which I'm sure has taken a bit of a knock during the same silly no, COVID. A very big knock. Mm, is it even open? No, is it open to the public? Yes,
1: we're open. We last weekend we had two weddings, but um, our major problem is that most of our weddings are foreign weddings.
0: Oh, really? Okay, and
1: w- w- so I was actually in the UK last year when this whole COVID yes. thing started, and I actually had to rush back because. All of a sudden, they stopped us having weddings. Uh, oh. People had to go home at 8 o'clock. and yes. this was, I think, around about the 18th of uh, March, somewhere there. And, uh, you know, I got on the plane quickly, raced back, thinking this is now going to be one month or two months, and we'll sort this quickly. <laughs> we all did. And now we're 18 months down the line. Um, all our foreign weddings, basically, have been cancelled. Oh, gosh. Uh, our biggest uh, clients were basically either the U.K., Uh, Dubai, uh, Hong Kong and Australia and obviously the Dubai Hong Kong link is also linked to Australia Mm, and the UK mm. and uh, those weddings have all been postponed or canceled luckily we had good uh, eventually they paid out we had good business interruption insurance so we've been able to keep all our staff, we've um, you know, sometimes the wedding coordinators were sticking labels on a. <laughs> then, yeah, in the meantime, we've appointed Donna's uh, daughter, Jess. So Jess is actually officially now Oh,
0: goody. Okay, that's fun.
1: So Jess is now our hospitality manager. So she oversees the accommodation and the, the, all the <laughs> the offerings that we have there. And she's making, obviously, her changes as she's moving yes. along. But our, our big, big hope is for when the UK opens up, to us again. We have to get the traffic light system lifted. I was
0: watching with interest during the week to see whether we were going to be taken off the red list. (laughs) We don't know. Not. Not
1: still. No, we weren't. Actually, on Monday I was listening to the Sky News and they said uh, Boris was speaking on Tuesday and he was most probably going to get rid of the traffic light system. And he spoke on Tuesday 5 o'clock, and he didn't. (laughs) So the scary thing is Yemen and Syria is on the amber list for the UK, and South Africa is on the red list.
0: Well, I suppose if you see the way we've handled all of this, it's not surprising, really. I mean, South Africa has just not really crowned themselves in glory with this whole COVID story. And I think it's being protracted, which is for the subject of another discussion, but I think it's being protracted because it's very handy um, for lots of people, and there's, you know, it's also very handy to keep states of emergency in place, etc., etc. It's, it's all or disaster, yes, or whatever that's, that's it is. Really true, but it's just so damaging. Uh, but, but I think
1: the businesses and stuff mm. in South Africa have really tried hard. The businesses and the people I do. have really tried hard. Obviously, sometimes people are stupid and do the wrong things at the wrong mm. time. But um, I think at most. <laughs> God, I can't even really say, but you know, dysfunctionality <laughs> on a government level yeah. uh, makes it
0: difficult to run anything. Makes like it extremely uh, difficult, and I think that we, I think that I think that we all just need to take that to the polls when we all go and vote. Quite frankly, remember how difficult. No, I'm not going to put money. Yeah, on no, this me one. neither. Me <laughs> neither. But it's a, it's a nice, it's a sort of a pipe dream. Um, Etienne, the you've got a fabulous butchery. Have you? Uh, not butchery, bakery. Have you still got your bakery at the farm?
1: Yes, no, J.P.'s actually just come back from the Bahamas. He sp- took a, our partner in the restaurant or the bistro. Uh, he spent uh, the last three months um, on David Copperfield's uh, oh, island Working there again. Oh,
0: that must have been gorgeous. Uh,
1: very nice. Yeah. Uh, he didn't come back with a tan. He said he was working
0: Couldn't David have supper. given him a magical tan just the day before he mm. left, maybe?
1: Yeah, I'm sure he, at least at least J.P. could have done that, <laughs> yeah, no, but J.P.'s… Um, Wood fired uh bread oven is going full speed. Fantastic. Um, they've also been able to stay open through the whole of COVID and um keep all their staff and running. So no, that's
0: uh That's brilliant.
1: We tried very hard to look after the people. I know, that well that's after, the after. thing. At the end of the day, a company runs on the people that of work for you, it. Of course it is. And you know if you so, think of
0: it, your staff I mean, we had the same for every staff member that we employ, you and us and everybody, each staff member has a couple of dependents um, who look to okay. them for help and food and housing and what have you. So it's been very, very difficult. And I think that the wine industry and the restaurant and hospitality industry have been particularly hard hit with the way the government no, has dealt right. with with COVID. And Having said that, I don't really know how I would have done it any differently. It's been a difficult situation all round, but our, our industry is reeling from it. And heads, you know, heads up to people like yourself who've managed to keep all your staff on board and somehow keep that business floating. Um, I think that I, I think well, I think maybe your exports might have helped you. Do you export a lot?
1: No, we're actually very small exporter. A lot of people misjudge it that we sell eighty five percent of our wine domestically, oh, wow. or even more, uh, eighty seven or ninety percent. We sell domestically. That's
0: very encouraging.
1: But I, I think, I think that comes in it, on your staff again. You know, is if you have the right people working for you, they also understand. Yes. When you're going through difficult times, mm. and um, you know, that's off to people like Catalina, our winemaker, yes, uh, Johan, my financial manager, yeah, you know, trying to keep uh, running everything, keeping the balls in the air. Mm. Um, obviously, on the vineyard side, they've been working full speed, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and we, and I think one of the biggest problems in the wine industry at the moment, and that unfortunately comes at the same time as this COVID. Is that all the the vineyards that were planted in '97 up until 2000 2005? They all have to be replaced now as well because they're all full of vines, mm. and uh, and that has a massive impact on our red wine quality. Is uh, replacing vineyards? I think on the Frenda list, we've now replaced uh, 12 hectares already, or 13 hectares that have been replanted. Wow! And uh, uh, the Cabernets, the Merlots, Chirazes, and you can immediately. See the quality and taste that you taste the blocks.
0: difference as well, but dare we yeah, no,
1: dare massive. we
0: even ask what the cost per hectare is now of replanting a vineyard? I mean that must be yeah,
1: I mean, it was probably running about four hundred thousand per, per hectare, vineyard, per yeah, hectare. It's a l- and then it'll take at least uh, this side we can take off a small production after three years, mm. but it will be in proper production in about six years uh, to get to your quality levels yes. again. When the cool climate areas like Elgin is we'll take the first tiny production off in five years and you'll be in full production there in about seven years. Well,
0: that's makes <laughs> a big difference. It's lots of very nice wine to look forward to. For people who don't or haven't been to visit Fred and List, if you drive along, and I'm terrible with those roads. I know that there's an <laughs> R44 and an R41 or whatever, but I do know because I worked for Anglo for many years, if you drive past Boschendahl and you go down to the T-junction, you can't help but see that most magnificent driveway of Freda and List in front of you. Is that correct?
1: No, no. We're a bit more. You turn well, left. Well, you turn so left and the, it's
0: a little bit there. Yeah, you, but you can't really no, drive we're past on the t- it.
1: We're on the corner. Our driveway is on the corner of the Cluckmits the Road and the That's R-45. That's right. So it's R-45. So the R-44 is the one going into Stellenbosch. Mm. And the R41 is between Paul and Franschhoek,
0: and we like. And yours to, is just on, on that corner there. Yeah, it link. is such a beautiful farm. It really is a very yeah, very, very much, pretty yeah. farm, and we have a fantastic range of wines coming off of Fred and List. And I'm not going to give too 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 much away, but I do hope that within the next couple of weeks, um, the business community will be able to be. Purchasing some of your wines through the business news digital oh, no, shop.
1: The, the cab francs. Uh, all the, I mean, the interesting thing is uh, we have a, a pure cabernet that comes off this uh, Simonsberg Paul property. That's made in tiny volumes, but it's called a Napoleon'sberg, and, and very few people know. It, but Simonsberg used to be called Napoleon'sberg yes. before it became Simonsberg. Yes. So we've got a Napoleon'sberg cab that's really. Is it?
0: Cracker Jack. Mm. Well, hopefully, yep, as no, I say, old, we'll old have old. some of those wines in our little business shop and, and my <laughs> listeners can that. can be ordering. You have a multitude of delicious wines to choose from. It's a fantastic business. It's a wonderful farm. We can uh, we can sort of phone and book and come and visit and you open for tastings and all those sort of things, are you?
1: Open seven days a week for tastings. Um you can, what's really nice now is that we've got a few nice pairings. On the one side, we've got the Lint chocolate pairings mm-hmm. uh, that Carlin has really spent a lot of time um, at choosing the right wines. For she's been a and fantastic we,
0: investment, uh, hasn't she? I mean, Carlin is just, she's no, no, she is a great winemaker.
1: A great winemaker, great taste, great uh, anticipation yes. for blends and how it will age. And then we've got the, the Dalewood cheese tasting. So mm. um, Dalewood's up the road is a, a, a cheesery, mm-hmm. uh, a Rob and Petrina Fisser, and we use their cheeses to do our uh, cheese pairing with the wine. Okay. And they're really exceptional cheeses. Oh,
0: there. we're so jealous because in Johannesburg we can't come and do any of that stuff. But, of course, all the business people down in down. Cape Town. And whenever you get on an airplane and go to Cape Town, make sure. That Fred and List is one of your stops because I really can highly recommend. It's a beautiful place. It really, really is. Etienne, thank you so much for your time. Um, good luck to all Thanks, of you. Thanks,
1: Thanks for talking to good us. Good luck
0: to all of you. And I will be in touch with you early next week so that we can start popping some of your lovely wines onto the shelves in the little digital shop and we'll take it from there.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. Have a Gary. great weekend. Best for you thank you enjoy you the
0: too. weekend Have you, good too. One. <laughs> you
1: too hi you too bye <laughs> yeah.